0: Welcome to the 5991 Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen. Once again with me this week, Ted A. Graff. In
1: America. In America.
0: Today we are... (laughs) You're starting this one off on a... What? On a a tight wire rope. Uh, We are are discussing the musical sequences of Steven Spielberg's career. The man is only... How... Fe- making movies for now fifty years, uh, feature films, I and mean, saying forever he wanted to make a musical. Finally, made his first musical.
1: Well, you know, uh, did you think about this? I, I did this today. Uh, I did a little homework. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis Cop- Coppola, he did Finian's Rainbow in '68, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. One from one the one. Heart. Yeah, One from the Heart. And then the Cap- Cotton Club. If you want to count that, sort of. Count up. that. And Captain EO. Yeah. You know, so you got. But I'm thinking. this I'm thinking '68. He's already got a full blown old old school musical done. I'm talking about his uh, his peers, Scorsese, New York, New York, in seventy-seven. So he okay. gets right under the wire before uh, the jitterbug in nineteen forty one. Right, Good um, the, call. You, you know, and then you got like if you uh, you know then Scorsese is all kind of over the place. Last Waltz, Michael Jackson's Bad, uh, an episode of the Blues on PBS, uh, the Bob Dylan documentary, uh, Shine a Light. Stones, you got George Harrison documentary. You got vinyl, the pilot. Right,
0: right, right. right, right. Uh, and well, uh, who's really who, in review? Let's go. Who's the next? Uh, De Palma. How to, how to, the the Orson Welles movie? Phantom of Paradise. Oh, of course. 74.
1: Oh. Uh, and then you got a uh, if you want Freaky Goes to Hollywood video that's a body double.
0: Yeah, and he does a Bruce Springsteen video. Well, the trick of all of this is you when you're going down your Scorsese list, you're naming movies with music in it besides New York, New York, which we've done an episode on. Right. Well, I'm,
1: I'm kind of I'm not. This this,
0: I, this I, comes to the thing with Spielberg has is, is such a musical director, but I'm talking about song I know I, know, and I dance. know I know
1: I'm throwing documentary. I'm just talking about I'm just kind of like
0: no 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 I I get what you're going uh, with
1: and uh, Paul Schrader. Uh, you did a bob dylan video tight connection to my heart in the mid 80s and you got light of day uh with michael J Fox. well if,
0: if this is your criteria spielberg's gonna have much more of this but l- let's go ahead before we go into this let's go what did you watch this week ted
1: oh we're gonna oh
0: I we need she... our intro what did you watch this week uh um uh, what did i want uh, uh so... we do this every episode come on now. i know but
1: you went ahead and i thought we got it we're, i thought we were in the guts of the story Anyway, uh, what did I watch? I watched the... Uh, uh,
0: we watched Spider-Man
1: last night. Right, yeah, we watched Spider-Man last night. I saw... We can talk about that. Don't Look Up. I've seen Me uh, and the Ricardos. You like Don't Look Up. Uh, uh, That's it,
0: getting really terrible reviews. I and you, it, you, it,
1: uh, yeah. It, I walked into... I guess, I, you know, it, I think it's very true. I walked in with un, uh, low expectations because I heard the buzz was uh, not that great on it. And uh, walked into it and loved it. I and mean, I'm so glad Showplace brought both these films in. That are not you have, to, you have to start streaming at this the day we're recording this, um, but I'm really uh, glad to see these on a the big screen. I think it's this as Doctor Strange love. It's not up. It's not on the same standard. I think it's going to be hard ever to get reach the uh, the the, uh, the peak of Doctor Strange love, but it's obviously playing in that field where, um, and also I love. There's a lot of um, everybody's using the word Easter eggs now, or you know little jokes and little things. I actually think, you know, we we ought to start trying to use the word chicken fat. uh, (laughs) Because it's a little excessive? Well, no, because that's the actual term that Will Elder did when he did Mad Magazine and Mad Comics. Okay. He would draw all these little jokes in, him. and then Mort Drucker continued on in Mad. Magazine. Why chicken fat? I there was just, I think this is the term he came up with. There there was probably a reason, but uh, okay, but that was just what he called it. But Wait anyway, a
0: minute, so you're just saying just you want to reference Mad Magazine in return in regards to well, this
1: all it, it was, well, yeah, no real reason for it, the term itself. It's a it's a very it's a very it's a very you know modern day national lampoon Mad Magazine movie. You know, I mean in terms okay. of the humor. This is
0: going to come up in 1941. Our uh, conversation here too, but.
1: Yeah, but it, yeah, well, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> the
0: exhaustion and signs are really we'll coming. We'll see
1: about that. But uh, uh, and then um, the Cardinals is interesting. I never once ever thought I was watching, you know, Lucille or Desi or Frank. Uh, fair or, enough. But I enjoyed their performances. But yet, I didn't really. They were not, you know. I didn't get, you know, the illusion was not lost on I me. Mean, but the more so, the the what they went through. It's the contextual stuff and the narrative, the themes, and and what goes on. They're trying to make it I love Lucy episode.
0: I have not seen these two yet, and I feel like I'm going to have strong opinions on them. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't want to talk too much about Spider Man, but I do want to say this one thing. You sent me a review today from Was It Variety mm-hmm. that really. This is not a spoiler if you've seen the second trailer to Spider Man but one of the key conflicts in the movie is that Spider-Man doesn't want the villains to die, he wants to help the villains. And this comes up because our last episode with Douglas Wolke and all the Marvels, there's the chapter he, we discussed in there towards the end of the book about Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and that a lot of, and I even made the point in the episode where Douglas and I were talking where I said that the MCU, from a moral standpoint, is maybe behind the Marvel Universe in regards of Squirrel Girl, the published Marvel Universe, because Squirrel Girl is constantly trying to rehabilitate her villains, and then this movie comes along, and you had an interesting reaction when you were talking to. Yeah,
1: talking my, about, my, my my initial reaction is like, <sighs> well, you know, who cares? These are, you know, it's these they're bad guys. They're, you said kill the villains. Kill them, you know, you know that's you know just get rid of them, and then. I didn't, weren't they killed him in the, in the movies they're taking from? Yes,
0: they're, I think, to the T.
1: So it's just like, what's the big deal? But then, I don't want, like I said. We I don't want to spoil to anything. anything. So, because this is a
0: movie with a lot of.
1: Uh, yeah, it deserves it. actually deserves a podcast. Well, I'm sure there's going to be 5,000 podcasts about it. Yeah, yeah. It. So I mean, we won't add much to it than anybody else will.
0: My two this week are, um, I'm on two tracks where I'm watching just my normal, Path of stuff, and then I'm trying to do my movie catch up. My movie catch up, I finally watched Pig, which I was not expecting what that movie was going to end up being. And I was, I mean, I'd heard so many good things about it. You saw Pig, right? No,
1: I'm sitting on my Blu ray. Oh, I, I, I bought it the we week it came out.
0: I, I think it. one of the reasons I held off on it, even though I've people I trust said it was really good, was I thought it was just going to be a dreary meditation on grief with Nicolas Cage in the woods, kind of like, uh, trying to act with a pig and I was like it might be great but I wasn't jumping to it that's not the movie that's not the movie and it's still about it's still an amazing movie about grief but it's not the movie I I watch it right away
1: yeah I thought I I bought two Nicolas Cage movies just recently I bought that and the other one where he's got he's got a samurai sword on a something in the Northland or Southland.
0: You and I had this conversation last night where I think Nicholas Cage, at least one movie per year, the last few years he's picked some, some great ones. In
1: fact, they called our resident Nicholas Cage guy. That said, should I buy this one? Because we got a friend of ours who he, he's, he'll go out of town, not to miss the Nicholas Cage on the big screen. Uh, I did see uh, Catch Me the Can last week on the big screen. Rewatch Catch Me the Can. And then I also, we we're also, we also both saw West Side Story, which we're
0: going to discuss. Which we're going to discuss, yeah. We don't need to bring up the movie we're going to discuss in the podcast itself. <laughs> oh, we we'll. uh, My last movie on the track of like, watching just normal stuff, I saw Crime Wave, Andre de Toss movie. It's a film noir from, I want to say, nineteen. With Hated? Yes. Oh, yeah. I've, we... I've, I watched
1: that back in 2011, I think
0: was so cool about it. Uh, that's I, one of the ones that Scorsese clips in the uh, Journey Through American Cinema. Oh, that's well, part of the reason I was uh, keen to watch is Patton Oswald has been uh, talking about this on podcast. he says it's a very quintessential location shot LA film. And one of those, you know, we elevate a lot of film noir that um, has more maybe, there's always a measure of the B-movie film noir of if, is it beneath 90 minutes or not? So it's stuff like Detour and things like that. And these film, films... Feel like definite B movie, but they feel grungier and dirtier. And Crime Wave is definitely shot on L.A. streets in the early '50s when location shooting in L.A. wasn't that strong of a thing. And yeah, it's it's a great time capsule. Quintessential
1: Hayden performance.
0: <laughs> you could say, and there's a lot of people in there that are going to end up in the killing. So that was another.
1: Yeah, uh, it's was interesting because uh, you know uh, Nightmare Alley is opening up tonight, and uh, the uh, I was reading an article about that where. It's one of the uh, exceptions. Uh, uh, there's an article about noir films. Most of them are B films, and they're short. And they're B films. But it, uh, this actually is a noir film that was the original with Tyrone Power is actually an A film. Yeah. But, but it was happened to be a noir. There's some films that were A films but noir. Uh, we're noir gonna have to talk short.
0: about this later, especially after I watch the new uh, Nightmare Alley. Like I know Nightmare Alley is designated as noir, but like it just feels. It's a little, yeah, no.
1: It's it's a variant. I mean, it depends on how tightly you want to define noir. I mean, that's the thing.
0: Noir is a very uh, Nor You think of like uh, a contrasty lighting, city, well, see, yeah. urban city stuff, and this like there's there's a little bit of it, but I mean, we're talking the circus, uh, upper scale. I forget what city it takes. Yeah, the in, part. Oh,
1: but... well, they make a point about that in the cinematographer. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting that you brought that. You keyed into that because that's. He's, he does say the contrast is not there. This is not this is not to but, say
0: that you can't apply a lighting and ethos to that that right. makes it noric. This
1: is more it's more the more the morality, the more the moral the aspect it, okay. of the, the Norr, you know, of the Noor films. Okay. So
0: we've skirted the subject long <laughs> enough, but now. Are you ready to talk? Spoilers, uh, non-musicals. You you you're signed because I want to talk about 1941. When was the last time you watched 1941?
1: I, well, I d- actually did. I watch all of it. I watched. I got a. I got a Blu-ray not too long ago, and I watched the making of. What I just. Was, I just
0: watched uh, the making. Is that from like some 90s LaserDisc? I
1: think so. Yeah. I have. Okay. A, I have, a, I have a big giant box set of Laser. It's a huge thing.
0: It's funny. The um, anamorphic 16 uh, by 9 image just cuts off the lower third titles for everybody on yeah. the DVD which I think was taken from uh, the, the one that's on there is the special edition. To, I don't know if I've ever seen the theatrical cut of 1941. Oh, really? I've wow. only seen the longer special edition. 1941, I've been wanting to talk about it for a long time. It's not a movie I love yet or I like yet, but every time I watch it, I get closer and closer, <sighs> and there's a lot to like about it. It is such a big spectacle that also is colossally, colossally – Spielberg himself even pretty early on was saying things like, This is a conceptual nightmare. Like just the concept of it, like it's it's so well executed from that concept, but the concept itself is just blow shit up. Um, the most expensive movie made up to that point, to blow ship up in a fun way, in a gag laden way. Speak of Mad Magazine, I mean yeah, uh, a bit Yeah, I mean,
1: I wish you would I wish you uh, were uh, if we if you were my age, you would remember the the buildup to this thing, it was so huge because, you know, Jaws, Close Encounters, and and I was becoming a, a a huge, deep cinephile. So I was reading, and back then, you know, you had to wait for an article in Rolling Stone or an article here. I didn't have access to Variety, I didn't have access to, uh, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, and this is, and then I start reading the cast, and then, then 1941, it's got Belushi and Ackroyd at the apex of their, uh, popularity and all this stuff. Animal going on. House in World yeah, War Two. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, man. And then, boy, the knives came out, and they just really just skewered it big time. And
0: uh and to be fair, those knives, they, especially if I had that disappointing reaction coming off of seeing Jaws and Close Encounter and not having been warned about this, deserved. Well, you know, it was funny. I I can't. I don't. I can't remember.
1: If I, I, of course, you know, I'm the wrong person to talk to because there's people my age older and younger that still go, I hate that film. That film is terrible. It sucks. And that's, you know, and it still it, it permeates today. I'm much more gray. You know, you know how I am. You yeah. Know? And, and I think, you know, I probably walked out of it probably going, yeah, no, it didn't work, but I like this and that. And I mean, to me, what movie you got Christopher Lee playing a Nazi. Right. And Mifune and uh, as a, a Japanese warrior. In, so in the same scene. The same. I'm like, sequence. oh my gosh. Uh, and then the opening with the, the Jaws Jaws off hour after that I loved
0: the Jaws one has always thrown me off that that does seem like a really big thing of hubris but yeah. there's a lot of Jaws well there's
1: the, also the, I forgot about the gas station it's he's he's horrific. from Duel yeah and Close Encounters because of the dust all the dirt and dust and everything oh from up. the like a okay. the beginning of the, when they find the planes and close. Encounters, planes in the it, desert yeah. I
0: guess that makes sense what really got me closer this time was watching that behind the scenes and I I think I've told you this before but one of my I, if Possibly like one, not my top, one of my top comedy directors of all time is Chuck Jones. I would put him ahead of Keaton or uh, Charlie Chaplin even. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, not a, I'm not the hugest Keaton or Ken Chaplin fan. Oh, boy. But um, Chuck Jones was a uh, consultant on this, and he'd come up with sequences in here. And some of that, I mean, Three Stooges, Slapsticks. Uh, screaming, up.
1: screaming, and more screaming. I, 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 I do love Warren Oates screaming.
0: like hear your guns. Well, <laughs> Spieler tells the story of, wa- of watching the movie with the preview audience. And he's like, I've never seen an audience. I've seen them being frightened enough to cover their eyes, but I've never seen them cover their ears. And he says things like this should feel like a demolition derby or, um, and that is the effect on the movie. But the reason we're talking about this uh this is probably the spielberg at the when he made it said that he wanted to make it a musical and he didn't have the courage of his convictions but he had the idea that it was going to be an old-fashioned musical uh he pushed john Williams to write eight uh or they were going to use eight uh big band p- things from tommy dorsey and, and vinnie goodman and spielberg said if he, he came out with a sequence that's not in the movie where there was going to be a giant dance number on the hollywood land sign and his idea was like to take certain parts of the screenplay every he the phrase he uses 20 lines of dialogue and then put a song in that advances the plot forward and the problem with that is that 1941's problem is that it's all these gags and things none of nothing in 1941 advances the the story forward it's all just gags for gag sakes explosions. spielberg's uh obsession in the movie was like trying to come up with an interesting way of filming explosions but the one sequence that has aged really well. The real reason we're talking about this movie in terms of musicals and Spielberg's musicals is the jitterbug sequence. And then Spielberg said it's the funnest sequence in the movie that he had to film. And this gets to, I mean, this sequence that you like, right?
1: Yeah, no. Yeah. I, well, I mean, the more I watch I, people look at me kind of weird. And I see this one, I, I end up every time I go, I revisit 1941. I like it more and more. <laughs> I don't don't Mm -hmm. know what that says about me. But I mean, I guess maybe it's nostalgic and sentimental and memories. But uh, I love, you know, and looking for a very young Mickey Rourke and uh, Ned Betty's haircut and, you know, Slim Pickens in there. And just over and over There's so
0: much to like in it. There's so many elements that come together. And it it ends up being the most expensive movie blowing stuff up. But the sequence is choreographed by Paul DeRolfe, who, I was funny, I looked up his credits. His other credits include... He created some TV shows, but his other credits include as choreographer include Karate Kid Part Two and one individual episode of Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction.
1: The also the thing about the jitterbug is uh, so you think that's a like just like a plus quality dance sequence.
0: We should probably also rewind a little to talk about uh, Spielberg's Bonafittis about – doing a musical and why it's weird that Spielberg hasn't done a musical at that point. And the Jitterbug sequence, I think exemplifies.
1: Well, I think one this. thing about, here's the thing I wanted to point out about this. Okay. As good as, as fun as it is. And the, uh, John Williams is kind of riffing on sing, 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 but he's making a song that's called sing, 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 uh, swing, swing, swing. swing. Hmm. Uh, but, um, There's a lot of Rube Goldberg aspect to this dance sequence. You know what I mean? uh, Rube Goldberg's comic strip artist. One thing leads to another? Yeah, the the knockover and that kind of thing. He was known that he would come up and and the strips were... You You think
0: that's a bad thing?
1: No, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm not saying it's not so much. It's a combination of that and a dance sequence, it seems like. Sometimes a dance also just becomes a big Goldberg. A uh, uh, sequence, and then it goes back into a dance sequence. I think at times, yeah. So I mean, it's a, it's, an, it's an interesting mix of it. Well,
0: it's funny that metaphor is almost like uh, same one thing leads to another. That's good storytelling. It's just oh, a yeah, leads yeah. to B, to B leads but, to yeah, C. You know, you
1: know, I'm talking about the you know, like the uh, a spoon falls down and it fills a cup up. The cup, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he was known for, and I think that's part of the jitterbug sequence is really uh, exiting that.
0: I need to th- I need to talk, stop and talk for a second about. Spielberg as a uh, you know when we talk if critics talk about Spielberg and filmmakers talk about Spielberg, it's a totally different thing. Spielberg, I don't think people appreciate how much of a filmmaker's filmmaker to so many people Steven Spielberg is like you get filmmakers talking about what Spielberg does. They don't go on about uh, his obsession with being a child that never grows up or hating fathers or sometimes they'll bring up the like overwhelming sentimentality, but it's usually in regard to, how much a sequence elevates above that, not liking that as a technician, as a stager, as a master of mise-en-scene and all the things moving around, there is a reason Spielberg is unparalleled. like well, One of the, some of the reviews I read of uh, West Side Story, I've seen this quote mentioned multiple times. It came from Pauline kale's review of Sugarland Express, where she said she talked to a director and there's some speculation that it was Hitchcock. I think it might be Billy Wilder. the idea is that the quote says something along the lines that Spielberg probably has never seen a play in his life and that he only thinks with a camera lens and he doesn't think with a proscenium. So every time he's staging something, all he thinks about is this small piece of object moving around in air to be there perfectly. But all the things that like a good director does Spielberg adds, like think things directors are supposed to be trying to do to make, uh, in, in cinematography, not just photography, three dimensionality, like, uh, moving uh your subject across the frame to keep the eye busy uh maintaining depth by having upstage downstage constantly changing it Um, i worked with a director a few years ago and we kept talking about how spielberg and maybe fincher were the two masters of making a shot that had two amazing keyframe compositions all in the same shot and the second composition would just come out of nowhere and some directors who try this are too flashy with it. And Spielberg's been doing this for so long, but even from the beginning, he was so good at this. So this leads towards a musical. The musical being the most cinematic, where a camera should just float and move. He should have done a musical a long time ago.
1: Yeah, well, uh, for anybody out there listening <laughs> uh, that doesn't know, doesn't really think, that this can go uh, as goofy as we do over movies, uh one thing i remember growing, uh, when i started really getting into movies the one thing that i it was a revelation saying that uh musicals a lot of directors all want to do musicals and why would they want to do a musical because you get to do you get to break reality and get to do anything you want to do with the camera and your actors and everything yeah. I'm like oh okay yeah that's right
0: and it also uh, lies the point that a lot of the staging there's also a giant amount of rhythm and musicality in there just to like when one moment happens to another there's a meter there's a beat to it there's and the way a, a visual element a visual motif if you will reveals itself like well, it, it works just the same way as music well it sounds like
1: uh I was surprised. I think I think uh, John Williams said this in the, the 1941 featurette or someplace. He was like some of the music was already. Uh,
0: he said uh, there was more. It was funny because they were coming off Close Encounters, where they had to come up with the uh, the the the, the five tone yeah, the, before. The, the, he said there was more pre- music prep early on this than any other movies.
1: And uh, I'm th- I go back to Leone, where you know yeah. the Italians were.
0: You always go back to Leone.
1: <laughs> we were in a good place because they they did all their audio post. So uh, Sergio would have by the time he got to Once Upon a Time in the West, he has Morricone make all the themes for the characters and they play it on the damn set mm-hmm. and you can move. So, he, so can you imagine he's got the actors and he's got the camera in pacing
0: with the music. Yeah, and And, I mean Spielberg Spielberg does the same thing too. I mean, it's you brought this up multiple times, but it it, and it's a great instance of like, um, which is not normal for a lot of Hollywood films. I think it's just because it it is the most popular and most successful early usage of it. But other directors have done it.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, no. Kubrick
0: very famously started doing this after this point, just playing even with mood music. Yeah, he
1: called. (laughs) Well, I love that. uh, In the lay only biography, Kubrick calls uh, Sir, you know, and he goes. Uh, because what why do you what do your 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 movies play so well with, with the Morricone music or and sure. then and then uh Barry Lyndon was, yeah you get ready to work on Barry right. Lyndon
0: yeah um, Spielberg played the clarinet as a child uh his there's stories in Joseph McBride's biography of him he did musicals as kids where he was like he ran the teleprompter on a school musical of Guys and Dolls and he played clarinet in that Guys and Dolls and for Brigadoon uh his mom used to play the piano with him as a baby on his lap, although West Side Story is dedicated to his father, which I found notable, but Spielberg over, musicality is in his genes and it's been there for a while. And so he's been wanting to do the musical, mention the musical forever. So 1941, he doesn't fully blown have the courage of his convictions to use his own phrase.
1: That's why, that's why I was bringing up his peers, how his peers had already dived in and, and had, had uh, done some. Or will do some like uh, i, I mean, another one with the Long Last Love, which
0: got, oh, Bogdanovich, that's a good one, that's a great one.
1: Got, got really got uh, lambasted for that. Alban really doesn't do one until uh, Popeye, Popeye, really, um, and then uh, that's about it. I had I got I got a uh, you know got, uh, Streets of Fire with uh, uh, Walter Hill, but that's just certain numbers, but it's it's uh, certain but that's more stage. Uh, as opposed to, um, it breaks the reality. It doesn't break the
0: reality. Was would you say the '70s are, or the '80s are the low for musicals? Like, like it, it was. In
1: fact, you know, today before I left here at the station, where I worked at a TV station, I pulled about five kids there working there. A director, I just saw different people. I said, guys, you like, you know, what's the deal with musicals? What? Okay, did you all participate in musicals? Almost all of them did stuff in middle school, middle, uh, uh, you know, worked in a, a live action musical or whatever. Of course, somebody brought up Hamilton, but I said, yeah, but you, would you, I said, would you watch Hamilton if I start going, I'm Alexander Hamilton and I'm going to write up, and they go, no, but it, they love, but they didn't see uh, Hamilton with the hip hop music. It's, it, there's, a, uh, there's something about, you know, there's a stigma. It's still kind of there about musicals uh, with the corny music. Uh, that a lot of kids don't like and they and they and they cheap on trying to break that code trying to you know attract people that's why Hamilton was did did help in one, in one way but remember the the Beetle one across the universe mm-hmm. thought they were gonna, that was going to be the one that cracked the code but it didn't really do it yeah um, and then but then one kid had nothing to do with musicals and then I the most I said would you guys like to go see musicals on the movies no not really but they go see but think about the you know the Broadway stage yeah. is it is it a niche
0: is it? The, did you need to see the live performance? Well, because yeah. you're saying this, you, you know, I used to hate musicals. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? Um, I was raised on Disney musicals. And in all, and it, but, they,
1: they didn't feel like, you know, to this point. Which of, is, I mean, let me talk about the post Little Mermaid, Little
0: mm-hmm, Mermaid off. Right.
1: Which was basically they just, they figured a way to, to get to hook you guys into lucky musicals without knowing you like musicals.
0: But I didn't like them. That's my point.
1: I know, but it, that's what it was. It was just, it was just
0: but it... I, it, it always seemed sanitized. I, one big issue, which Spieler points out in 1941 that I think he wouldn't have failed at, is they didn't feel like they advanced the story forward. They always felt like they stopped it and they felt like music I wasn't interested it
1: depends, in. It depends. It depends. You have to go by case by case on those. But that was a big... Sure. That was a, in the history of musicals. That was the big thing. They, when they first started out with the talkie era, it's just like, Everything was, start, was Buzzy Berkeley and was just, just, hey, we can sing and dance for the yeah. audience. But then somebody, I think, is is the, uh, what's his name? I can't think of the MGM section. Stanley Donan worked in and Gene Kelly, but they started. Minelli? Uh, Vincent Minelli? No, Minelli was another one. This is a, I can't think of the producer's name. It was a producer's. It was a, there was a couple of different camps in the MGM that were, you know, musical experts. And they just they you know the big deal was like when the song would advance the story or play on the theme that was a big deal, Um, and uh, but what about uh, uh, but don't you see now now retro looking back at your your Disney love of those musicals don't you see how is Little Mermaid any different than the uh, the Music
0: Man. But oh than- no, I do, I do, I do appreciate, uh, especially *Little Mermaid*. I've, I've come to appreciate more. I, and I think it's more. What happened was I had to find a, you know, in a lot of instances you had to find someone who liked it to, uh, who really likes it to, to uh, kind of mentor you into liking it. But there was also there was the wave of. I remember the two big ones that really got me right in a row that really made me fall in love with musicals were uh, *Dancer in the Dark* and *The Buffy Musical*.
1: Well, see, those are modern day ones. Do you have do you do you have you gone back to older ones now? Have you made any kind of, you know, uh, do diligence diligence on uh like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers or uh, Sing in the Rain? I guess. Actually,
0: you know what? Uh, I had an epiphany this summer. What the other thing that made me dislike musicals was the uh, our local uh, summer musicals. They always seemed,
1: and I, I really I mean, I, the live local ones.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I realized that. Th- it's the taste of our our local. The it was this musicals they picked were the blandest, most anodyne, like boring. And and then like Sondheim would have been one. And going to West Side Story, Sondheim seemed to d- write about some really dark stuff in interesting ways. And I it was much later to find it. And some of this stuff is just papering over emotion. I guess. Did you go
1: point. to see the end of the woods? Yeah. And did you like that?
0: That uh, it was. Uh, that felt a little kind of uh, that, that was more of a cinematic versus staging issue yeah, for me, but right. Anyway, so but back to the 70s point, uh, all that jazz, we have our all that jazz episode, that's so good. One oh, word. yeah,
1: Bob well, fussy, forget about all that jazz, uh, that belongs in my list here.
0: So my point was going to be that after 1941, immediately after 1941, Spielberg tried to work on a movie a movie called Real to Real that he wanted to make. It was going to be his first musical. And it was written, written by D- Gary David Goldberg, who created Family Ties. And it was an autobiographical movie about a director making his first film that was going to be a sci-fi musical. And he went to Sid Sheinberg, who Sid Sheinberg was adapted a character in this movie. And since scheinberg said no to the musical and so spielberg then ended up making et after that
1: okay
0: then guess who took over the the musical uh michael Cimino
1: oh yeah i did, I did see that
0: and That's they announced nice. it with spielberg producing it but then it never got made and then years later gary david goldberg said chimino made the movie darker and it just they, what this grip wasn't there but spielberg flirted with more musicals he's going to get to our next subject Indiana Jones and the Tip of Doom, which is not a musical except for the first ten minutes. Yep. When it is completely a musical.
1: Yeah, and and I thought, uh <laughs> this is going can make a really weird analogy here. Oh, go for it. Uh I remember uh so I go to see Moonraker
0: oh wow you you delivered on that weird yeah
1: and you know uh you know it's after the the spider love me was a really you know wonderful fun bond film i think it's roger moore if you're a roger moore fan or if you can't stand roger moore that's the one to watch so we'll go to moonraker and it's like okay we're gonna rip off star wars and james bond has to go to space but anyway it starts out it's like the greatest opening ever of of uh bond being thrown out of a plane and then he's getting you know he's and he's been in midair without a parachute and we hadn't seen something like this and and we're just like freaking out and then it got stupid and silly with jaws and the circus tent and 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 then then the rest of the film to me was a write-off pretty much mm. and i'm almost thinking temple of doom is so sort of like that i'd love this opening sequence i remember i remember the i think i can recall my sense of memory of Thinking, wow, this is really cool. This big musical number, and then that, and then I, I didn't get my. Uh, they only had that portion on YouTube. I didn't get to see the chase of the the, the jewel around the floor, which you weren't you, able to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah I this. Yeah, already. I had a, a defective disc. Um, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm thinking I remembered that just being a great, great opening, and then the rest of stuff got silly and uh and didn't. I didn't care much for the rest of the film. Really, I, I, I just like yeah. Um, you know the, I think that's how I that's I think that's how the I remember. When the last time you watched it? I, I need to I need to I need to watch the whole thing again. Have you seen I'm, it with I'm theaters? A, I may not have not seen it since the theater. Uh, seriously, and so I may like I may you know do hundred and eighty on it or three sixty. Every
0: episode, on there's one big generational jaw drop for me, <laughs> between us. Like I was like, wow.
1: I didn't. Yeah, I mean I probably saw Crusade a couple of times because of Connery. Or I, I seen it more than. Uh, even though I don't know, you know, but in the first one, just as a flat out masterpiece, but the second one, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, you know the the, the whole spiel about how violent and, how and gross and and it do to which all. is
0: why it so seems odd that you're you're as a write-off. That's why I'm just not. I
1: just remember, I, I just, yeah, just, I, I just remember that. I just remember, I love the opening. Uh, I thought that was really wonderful, and then just rest but I don't. Not even I the mean, heart ripping out. No, nah, well, why would I like that? Why would want someone like that?
0: That doesn't seem like a silly write-off. Is my point. Well, I mean, that's part of the reason I wrote it off, because I was just like, uh, you know,
1: uh, our heart being ripped down on in Indiana Jones film, does not it doesn't need to be in there. I'm, the, I'm you know, comparing it to the first film. you know, I mean, it gets pretty, I guess, like a melting face in the first one. But it, it I don't know. I just, I have, like I said, I need to revisit it. I need to revisit it. I mean, and maybe we don't have to come back and do a podcast. I was and...
0: partially, you know what I'm saying, I, when you started this out, I was a part of me that was going to agree with you just because, are we watching the sequence again and going all the way from uh, the opening musical number till... Um, the the airplane crash, which I remember whenever uh, Kingdom of Crystal Skulls came out and everyone complained about the Nuke the Fridge thing where they're like, Indiana Jones would have died. I'm like, do you guys remember that movie where he jumped yeah. out of a plane where a boat was his parachute? right? And then they slid down a mountain and then fell down another See, cliff? Yeah, I,
1: I might have been... That's where I might have I wrote off there. I, okay. I, I, I maybe...
0: But I mean, Actually, I, no. But I was gonna say the movie's great. Up, until you know, that.
1: you know, I have a lot of these films in my in my uh, history. I just I, I forget one thing. I didn't tell you I, I watched this week was the Matrix on a big screen. You told me about this last night. I don't think I've seen it since nineteen ninety nine. That, I, that and, was
0: that was a jaw dropper last night when you told me that. And too. I, I'm like, and I these and, are infinitely rewatchable movies. That's and it am.
1: was fun to watch. I'm like, I and I found a, a key thing in there. We won't go into that. We'll go that's another episode. But I'm just like, whoa, okay, maybe. So there's a lot of films like that, but there's so much I haven't seen. There's, and of course, now we got more streaming and TV and books, and it's uh, there's always this a sense of uh, you know I know I know some guys that, you know, I, I'm not gonna rewatch stuff I want I gotta go forward I'm got going I, forward
0: I watched Temple Doom most whenever they'd show the widescreen version on the Sci Fi Channel uh, back in the late '90s, and I in USA I think maybe showed it on widescreen sometimes too, and I used to watch it was mainly I skipped pretty much or I would kind of uh, skip out for a lot of the. Uh, background information well, why they're going to the uh, area with the kids. It was usually that sequence whenever the, uh, uh, the uh, Indy got trapped in the uh, uh, chamber and was about to crush him. From then on, then I'd watch uh, get back into the movie. See, that's what I was going to – I was like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, there's parts of the movies I'm just like, eh, I, I didn't. And I, I know, and the funny thing
1: is, I, when I was uh, looking it up and trying to find it on YouTube or Googling it or whatever, there's somebody, some major critic or writer or somebody – they just said that, that god-awful opening dance number. I'm like,
0: really? Thank you for bringing back to why we should be talking about this. The yeah. dance number. Okay, it's a Busby Berkeley. It's basically a Gold Diggers of 1935 riff. It has Kate Capshaw um, doing the lead on it. She's singing uh, Cole Porter's Anything Goes in Mandarin.
1: Oh, in English and, and Mandarin. Yeah. Well,
0: the, the the just the title of the song is, is the only part that's in English. But then they do Busby Berkeley dancers, and they go... Full on, where it's like glitter dust. There's one shot where everyone goes into splits, and then they do a reverse shot. They play a re- shot in reverse. In the background, people are walking backwards, but when they play it in reverse, it looks like they're walking forward. Well, and this is this. We were talking about how uh,
1: directors want to play do musicals so they can break reality. This is a perfect example to show somebody because at one point she's in a uh, was this in Shanghai? Is that uh, is yeah? It, they're in Shanghai so. in a club. And she's singing with some chorus girls. But at one moment, when the red smoke comes out, all of a sudden we're, we don't know where we're at. We're in a, we're in a Busby Berkeley stage in in Hollywood, California, or wherever. You're in this big stage where this cannot be seen by the people in the club. We're seeing it. And uh, that's so beautiful. And then they, and, he, and, he, and then he has a transition back with the red smoke that gets back into the club. That is why right there is a perfect example of why you have so much fun with musicals because you can pull that off i
0: see your point but i want to point out that the sequence that comes after this the uh, just the fight in the club when they have the diamond thing and Mm -hmm. like the which i was dynasty um that's another example of how spielberg turns an action sequence into a musical sequence i mean this is and again this is a man who masters the frame you know you're constantly moving your eye back and forth or the jitterbug the post
1: once the music stops and the fight starts it's a musical, too. Dun, dun, dun,
0: dun, 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 dun. I'm talking about in Temple of Doom. There's no music in there, but it's just the way you, the rhythm with which you, your eye moves on that screen. The jitterbug, you know, back to you. That's a
1: fight sequence. I mean, that's, and it's means And that music's not diegetic. Oh, no. Yeah. Whereas they were dancing to the orchestra playing, but the orchestra stopped. But also, there's music going, dun, 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 and they're
0: fighting. I guess my point is that visually, even without music, Spielberg's a musical director, yeah, and no, he's always been. There's
1: one. no music playing during the the chase of the the, the, the jewel around the John Williams music. Oh, okay, so I'm just saying un- that, underscore. Yeah, so
0: just like well, not underscore. It's it's John Williams. Just it's like it's the
1: dynamic. John, the, well, both Jitterberg and, and that uh, have that. Uh, I lo- I, lo- I have to say, I love the. Uh, the he he keeps the motif of the Paramount Mountain at the beginning, and and it's on the gong, and I'm also thinking the gong is a a little parody of the rank organization. Remember, the rank Mm. rank organization films always had the big gong that that opened up their films. That's a good
0: call. I mean, I I should have known that or should have recognized that. But yes, it's wonderful.
1: I I, I forgot. I I remember I I got a really good buzz out of that when I
0: saw it. And then the rest of the movie. (laughs) To be fair, Temple of Doom gets a lot of assorted reactions from people. Yeah, I need
1: to watch it again. I'll be honest with you. I need to watch the whole thing. But I I do remember, I think the only thing I remember, my takeaway back when I first saw it was that opening. And then everything else was like, man.
0: So around this time uh, after this, someone asked me about a musical and he said, funny enough, you should ask, I'm working on one with Quincy Jones. And then that never emerged although they ended up working on color purple which besides twilight zone was the only time spielberg had not worked with john williams up to that point but also around this time quincy jones was producing michael jackson so this is when they started talking about doing a musical out of peter pan maybe starring michael jackson
1: interesting and michael works with coppola and lucas and right but not Steven. It's Scorsese. And yeah, Scorsese, the bad. Did it color purple but now it's a musical now, right?
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's we're getting a lot of that happening, yeah, nowadays or or a straight on uh film uh, that ends up being a musical after all.
0: Yeah, and I mean and there's talk of uh the movie we're about to get into, Hook being turned no, into a movie. Mu- no, yeah. although Spielberg has Hook. What did you think of Hook when you saw it? Uh I again, it's. uh I, I, I keep. A, I'm. I'm asking you about Disappointing Spielberg, basically. Yeah, point, yeah.
1: I. I didn't. Which is why I, maybe I you didn't want to do this episode. I, I probably. <laughs> I haven't seen it since the theater. I remember another recurring thing. Exactly. Yeah, and I haven't. uh uh Yeah, I have not revisited it. I just here's another since memory again, I, and I told you this before we started recording this. I showed it when, we, when you came up with this idea. I remember sitting in the theater watching Hook, thinking this should be breaking out in songs. This feels like it should be a musical and it's not. There's one point where the pirates are going, hook, hook, hook. And Give I, us the hook. And I'm just like, Oh this my is gonna God. gonna Come up in a second. And I'm just thinking they should break out in song here. And they didn't. And I'm just like, Oh, it was like, you know, it was just like, I was like on the edge of my seat waiting for a song to start. Um, and, uh, I just didn't deliver. And maybe that kind of threw me off. And then, you know, I, maybe I was affected by all the you know the lackluster reviews that I was getting at the time, uh, and uh, so I really, again, I, I uh, will have to do a Ted Ted Haycraft revisits films that he's only seen
0: once podcast episode. We're, we're already doing an episode on, <laughs> on Hook. We're not going to do another episode. No, uh, well, on Hook. But, this is it. This but, is your chance.
1: Uh, I know, but I didn't see it, so I may have a ch- I may I may have a hundred eighty degree come back and say it's wonderful. But uh, no, I just mm-hmm. remember that it was okay and it should have been a musical. I
0: rewatched Hook this week. Hook was a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Um it
1: And you liked it as a kid
0: yeah i was a young kid and then i started reading its bad reputation and then i started uh, Did you ever have that did per- you rethink it would well, you ever have that period when you really started getting to film when you knew certain films reputations i think this is maybe more a video generation thing but you start having a contrarian opinion to so like oh I, yeah i, mean, I knew it- i knew people hated hook and i started thinking well wait a minute all spielberg's career is about uh childhood and this is him addressing it directly and trying to grow up and then after this point he pretty much makes only grown up even though there was empire of the sun and games people the color purple before this yeah
1: the games movie critics play and, <laughs> and i and i'm you know i'm i'm guilty of it too and i you know of course you know that i always tell you that that uh and i tell that a lot of people that says you know i'm not a pay i'm not a full-time paid critic okay so i can't see everything and so i will you know if i was i was i, was, I devoted to cisco and ebert every week so if cisco and ebert especially if they both went in eh, or thumbs down or whatever. I probably would have passed. i probably passed. Now, there are some directors I will not pass, no matter what. And Spielberg was, I will never pass a Spielberg film. I pass it on a Spielberg film.
0: My rewatch this week was more interesting. Let's put it this way. Um, You saw what he was going for. You saw, there's been a lot of, I'd read some stuff online.
1: Are we talking about Wesley's story now? Hook. No, Hook. Hook. We're still
0: on Hook. There's uh, there's some stuff online. For starters, Hook was supposed to be a musical. Um, And... I'm validated. <laughs> Hook was supposed to be a musical. Uh, John Williams got to the point of with uh, Leslie Recuse, They wrote like eight songs.
1: Yeah, Le- Leslie just passed away recently. did Goldfinger lyrics and great, great lyricists
0: there. Um, and for a movie I've seen so many times, there's still two songs in the movie. Yeah. There's uh, uh, we don't want to grow up. A little song at the musical, the, or the kids' musical at the beginning. But it's it,
1: but it's it's done in it's diegetic. Yeah,
0: and then there's when you're alone, which uh Peter's daughter sings to try to, it, it makes all the pirates tear up, and it makes uh, uh, Peter's son Jack kind of come they, back again, played off
1: as diegetic. Uh...
0: It is a little bit of a burst out, yeah. just because it's odd that he she's singing, but the okay. songs. But the crazier thing is, uh, the songs that were in there. There is uh one with, this is so crazy, there's one called Childhood they wrote that was supposed to be a Maggie Smith song that they immediately declared like this was the heart of the movie and would be an Oscar winner. And Maggie Smith couldn't sing so the day after they wrote it, they got Julie Andrews to come down and sing it that Maggie Smith is going to then lip sync back to afterwards. And, cut from the movie. Now, to your point about Give Us the Hook, that cue, this was a shot song in the movie is called low below and it's Bob Hoskins and it even has a really sounds like an odd moment where there's Bob Hoskins rapping in it which I can't imagine early 90s being good now the story I had read online this is not confirmed just because it's an online story from back in the cool days I read some review but supposedly the story was Spielberg makes this giant movie that he supposedly had a fun time on but it was way over budget and they built uh, instead of going out on location, they just hung around the Sony lot, which used to be the Columbia lot, which is a very classic a lot of the great MGM studio. Wizard of Oz would have been shot on this, on these, on these stages. And he, this movie was put together by this point when uh, CAA put it together, but it was the packaging thing, you know, where they get the agents put together, their clients all together, so they effectively do the mainline casting on a movie, and they they sell them big line. You know, Dustin Hoffman, Ron Williams, Julia Roberts, a Steven Spielberg movie. The agents put this movie together. And Spielberg basically supposedly got to a point where he went to a screening in Dallas, Texas, which also came up in 1941, and maybe the same theater they show Jaws and Sugar Land Express and Close Encounters at. But the story goes, he showed Hook, and he cried in his limo and decided he needed to get back to some roots, and then that's when he decided to make Jurassic Park, which... By the time he's finishing choosing Jurassic Park, he's more into Schindler's List. So he has his he not only comes up with his biggest box office hit at that point, but his biggest, his first Oscar, his artistic one. Now, I'd heard that, read that story a long time ago. But knowing all this musical stuff now, going into the test screening, what really had happened was the the uh, low below se- sequence. Supposedly Spielberg wrote a letter to uh, Leslie Bercuse that she mentions in her biography that the reason the song was cut was because the audience was so into the movie they expected the rest of the movie to turn into a musical and it didn't. So everyone was disappointed with that. So my point is Spielberg's been going his entire career trying to make a musical by this point, And he's the box office king so he can do whatever he wants for the most part more than at least he has more agency than any other director in terms of choosing what he wants to do. He wants to do a musical. He finally does it. He finally gets, gets the, and then He ends up having to cut big numbers from it, and the movie doesn't feel like a musical anymore. Yeah, but
1: but are you saying the test, there is a musical version of Hook?
0: There's more songs.
1: More songs, but it's still not quite a wall to wall musical.
0: I don't know. There's supposedly 14 total numbers, and Spielberg, uh, when the 4K Blu ray came out, uh, none of them were put on delete scenes, even though a lot of delete scenes were added back
1: which makes me think of a a, a But even
0: the conception of Hook itself is a giant set on the MGM lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I know it's, it's, I'll be interested when I get around to revisiting it and see if it, while it plays, but
0: I'm more interested. Like I I could admit the movie. If you don't like the movie, I understand. Like it, it, it's, I don't, I'm, but it it just seems weird. This man, I don't understand why it's taking so long to him to get the musical. Uh, so anyway, Throughout this point he keeps bringing up the option of bringing uh, putting musical numbers into different movies. He talks about doing a musical or a number in AI, which I always wondered it's supposedly around the Jigolojo. Uh, what do you know? I wonder if it's supposed to be that. Talked about putting one in the terminal. Uh going back to the stuff he produced, he did a lot of the songs for uh, um, the American Tale movies which were big. Uh that the music in that was I was really young. Like the Somewhere Out, Out There was one of my favorite songs when I was 8. Um there's a bunch of great songs on in uh, Animaniacs, uh, Yakko's songs in particular. So it's not produced, he put some music into, but then nothing. Just for a long time. I mean, he said, like, and. What music. Spielberg, I, there's a quote from around the time of Schindler's List when he comes back and says, yeah, I always want to do a musical, but. And he, he doesn't mention anything except West Side Story and Singing in the Rain, like the most obvious musicals to do. Like, I don't know. I just. It makes sense but at the same time i I just there's got to be more to why it's taking so long for him to do it um your guess is good as mine i mean i
1: i haven't really uh you know because we do get occasional musicals from some people here and there over the years so i you know if he doesn't you know so it's i've been appeased that way okay um
0: So, let's go from, I guess, Terminals, 2003, I think, 2002, 2003, and all the way to 2021, West Side Story. I thought the wait was worth it.
1: You liked the West Side Story.
0: It is, I was blown the fuck away. It is- Really? It is my number two movie this year. Oh, wow. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I know you went in having some trepidation.
1: Well, I, I got another analogy. Okay, and you remember this analogy too. This one, this, this one maybe is not as weird as the Moonraker one.
0: Uh, do you do a Moonraker esque one on this? is a chef's kiss. Uh,
1: Denis uh, Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. He's get, he announces he's doing Blade Runner twenty forty nine.
0: Uh huh. I'm like. <laughs> I I sent you that link that he's doing childhood Arthur C. Clarke's childhoods, and just to bug you with that. Well, see,
1: that's what I want to hear. Something different and new, and hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. But here, I'm like, I had I had fallen in love with Villeneuve. I thought, oh my gosh, this is my favorite cool new director, and I went back and you know and you know searched for his earlier stuff and got it was just just going just gobbling it all up. But and so I'm like. Do we need another Blade? I mean, what do we need a follow up to that? Do we need a sequel? Do we need a franchise Blade Run? I'm just like I'm really scared. I mean, I'm going. Like, it's in good hands, but I just eh. and then I go see it, and I and I was
0: and you had a very similar reaction to Dune.
1: Uh, uh, well, going in. Oh no! Yeah, that's actually twice.
0: That was the one you told me about.
1: I mean, I'm, you're right. Like, I mean, maybe it's more so Dune. Something I'm like, like, oh, he's done. he's already done a redo. which is
0: again why I brought up. He was yeah. announced this week. He's doing a going to do an adaptation challenge. Yeah, you,
1: but see, I wish I, you know, if he had announced that before Blade Runner, if he'd done that next after uh, Arrival, uh, I would have gone, oh, cool. But uh, but the, the, I'm like, Dune. We need another Dune after David Lynch's. Do we need another one? So, uh, but I have been totally like, oh my gosh, I love these two films, Blade Runner 24-9. I love it. I love a Dune. So I'm thinking, well, hopefully. I had the same kind of going into West Side Story. Unfortunately, I have to say, I wasn't, I'm not coming out of it like I did Dune or played 1 in I was like, I'm not sure I'm getting this.
0: Listener, if you could see how wide my eyes are right now.
1: (laughs) I know. Well, I'm surprised how much you liked it. Number two, what's number one? Uh, Dune. Oh, yeah, Duh. I don't know if it was the mood I was in. I saw an IMAX, and I saw I an saw IMAX and, too. Uh, there was only two other people in the in the theater. Same. And um uh, yeah, I I, I got to be honest. I don't want to. I don't want to try. I don't want to force myself to say yeah. But I I, I, I do want to see it again. I want to watch it. I, but but you know what I want to watch? I, I want to go back. You did this. Are... I did not. I need to go back and watch the uh, original, which I I saw quite. A, not that long ago. I think Eric brought it in out of Forum One.
0: Okay, so to your point earlier, you were talking about what's my relationship with older musicals. My counter argument, you've used this argument on me before that like why isn't Spielberg doing something new? Why isn't he doing an original musical? And my argument was West Side Stories had a history of being revived, much less a lot of Broadway musicals. There is an artistic way of which you reinterpret shows. How you do redo a production is an art into itself. Yeah, this well, this is a very this is a very layered treble.
1: Chit chat we could have about. I am not anti remake. I'm not anti re sure. And and certainly, certainly Broadway. I mean, that's all they do now half the time. Uh, I mean, a big bulk of their output is re. You know, that's 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 a that's a given with a different cast and redo it and tweak it. Of course, you know he gets he, he brings in a whole new screenwriter. Uh, Tony his, Kushner, yeah. one
0: of the greatest living American writers. Yes.
1: Yeah, uh, and uh, I, did you think it was an improvement? Yes. So
0: uh, there, I have a friend on Letterboxd who said it in the most interesting way. He said, "I think the original West Side Story is one of the greatest movies ever made, and yet somehow this movie is better. So what does that mean?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Um,
1: I do have w- one little standout. Hey, do you want me to get to that or not?
0: I I don't know what the hell. Like <laughs> I'm so shocked. I, I kind of I, mean, I, well, I I want to hear you why. I not Actually,
1: I, I remember right off the bat there was this one edit when they, they cuts to maria in the window and i thought it was just a such a s- basic simplistic s-
0: like dull cut uh the reason my point is that this is a great choice for him to do something that spielberg has so much control over movies that sometimes these movies end up becoming his ideas of the moment there's this have you ever read uh the uh, raiders conference uh pages they have this uh, thing where. Um, it's basically Lawrence Kasdan, George Lucas, and Spielberg coming up on the fly with all the ideas for Raiders. And it's it's a really great screenwriting document to look over. Mm. I think it's in this document where at one point when Spielberg leaves the room, Spielberg's coming, up, you know, he comes up with gags. He keeps coming up with gags. So he's just coming up with for ideas. The first, for the first Raiders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and then Lawrence Kasdan. Is Kaufman Kauff- involved in this? Yeah. No, this is, is post-Kaufman. Okay. Um, and so at one point Spielberg leaves the room or something, and Lawrence Kasdan turns to Lucas is like, do I actually have to put this in and Spielberg's or uh, Lucas is just like, just wait, I'll either talk him out of it or he'll like, because he's got such an idea factory that bad ideas come out. And a lot of the screenwriters that work for a director like Spielberg or that level, they're writing for Spielberg's ideas. Spielberg is so reverential of this book. They went back to the original show sequence. They changed the, the song order to the original stuff. They, they. He's so reverential of it that there's no extra indulgence, and in every change is seems thoroughly vetted. You know, you you, you know my car- argument that like there's a certain number of directors that turn to be up first draft directors, and Spielberg sometimes is one amongst them. This is not a first draft screenplay of his. Tony Kushner, every idea that's changed works enriches. It's uh, things they can do in modern times that maybe were a little give tricky it, to do. Give me an example. Guess, like the, the 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 Latino casting amongst other things well that's
1: yeah that's an obvious thing but i mean
0: yeah uh, the obvious thing needs to be said though right but i mean can you give me the gentrification moment the the uh this line at the just using taking the puerto rican story all the family and fleshing it out um, the uh the the neighborhood being moved out actually is uh supposedly going to be first off west side story's always been weird to me just because i've only know modern new york and west side the west side of new york never seemed like a poor neighborhood to me but at the time it was and the area they're about to tear down is going to be turned into lincoln Center soon so uh, the, the line early on that Corey stahl's character says where it's a new line where it's just like you're the whites that got left behind or the whites that like it's it's it's, it's contemporary. It sings to America in no, history. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, but that's, yeah, I mean, I have no problem with that. The Rita Moreno change where she plays a new character named Valentino changed away from Doc. The Doc character is now, uh, his, um, uh, he's died, and, and Valentina takes most of her role in the show, but he was a white man who married a Latino, or a Puerto Rican woman, and they're, interracial marriage becomes a legacy generational thing that this has not gotten better there's so much more depth and and the and west side story again is not i didn't really feel the depth though i mean i saw the changes you know what was fascinating was i had to read up the two articles i've cited a lot for both the spielberg stuff here and on the changes between the movies uh for the spielberg musical is uh tim grieving wrote an article on in the ringer and David Groh wrote one on Den of Geek on the differences between the different versions. And the thing is, like, Tony Kushner is such a skilled writer that every time there was something I was like, that's different, or I vaguely remember that, like, no, this was a in- change in the script that is so invisibly done. I mean, look at Tony's history where he went to prison in this now and is just coming back and he was the the um, uh, Jets' uh, muscle. You had no
1: history in the first one?
0: No. What about, I don't understand. Robert- the, the the whole Puerto Rican family had no history. The, their family, the, the was it the mother's still in Puerto Rico and the father's, or no, the father's in Puerto Rico and the mother's dead. Like all this stuff is just not there. But it worked
1: still. So you're, I mean, is it apples and oranges or is it improvement? You're saying it's an improvement.
0: I don't know if improvement's the right word. I want to use richer. Yeah. Richer, deeper, and uh, says more.
1: Doc was the guy who ran the grocery store. Yes. Why in this film? scene, I, I, and is it in the first one? At the end, all of a sudden, all the the uh, the jets are in the shop. It's in the. that's in the original. And I'm like, how? Why are they?
0: Would she want Mon- them in the shop at that point of of the narrative? No, it, she wasn't. That's the point of the whole thing. And the, the other thing is they they are able to make a little clearer. First off, they're, they 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 that wasn't clear to me that why they would be sitting in the shop. It's in both versions.
1: I know, but either way, I guess now if I watch the original, they're, they're
0: I, protecting Tony and they're trying to figure uh, out their next move. Uh okay, but that, I, But them going
1: the, We don't uh, know we don't we don't know. We don't, the, the reveal of Tony being in the basement is way later, you know, in that sequence I'm like
0: oh. When Anita goes into that into the shop, they make their attempts to rape her right. much more clear. Um one big 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 difference is what the original West side story is a very cinematic movie. I'm not going to say state because, and Jerome Robbins, I think, I always thought he got fired because he was trying to make it more cinematic was the the story I'd heard, but I read at some point, but, uh, Jerome Robbins was also the original choreographer for it and the violence in the original is all dance. This is not, and it is an improvement. It is visceral. The fights feel like fights. The hmm. f- the first scene has someone getting a nail in his ear and bleeding, and it feels like real gangs fighting. Okay,
1: <laughs> I mean, I, stakes I see, are higher. I, I this level
0: stylization is interesting, but a little yeah, uh, it doesn't have an effect. Yeah, now yeah. it does. The uh, and man, I'm not and I I watch again. As you mentioned, I watched the the 1961 movie. Right. The night after, and it's still it's still amazing. The, the opening is, uh, I I'll before watching it again. I had seen a seventy millimeter print at the Alamo in like twenty sixteen, and those opening shots going uptown in seventy millers, especially are gorgeous. And it's like one the is such an iconic opening. Yes. yes. Uh, so I'm not gonna I'm not taking away from the original or how cinematic the original is. Mm-hmm. And it, and to be fair, it's not a competition. <laughs>
1: No, I just—I mean—and again, you know, I'm—I'm I'm thinking. Uh, I'm so shocked. Uh, well, you know, I—I I, you know, I—I I joke. We make jokes about. oh, well, I don't joke about it. I just—it does seem to kind of be uh, a thing that works, going in with uh, your expectations where your expectations are. Yeah, that's true. It's and, so true. It's and I, so weird. And I'm thinking, uh, I th- either I had, I was—I I either I had way too high expectations or something, but it just did not totally click with me the way it did with you. Obviously you're, you're over here just the going moment. to my
0: point earlier about Spielberg's camera. It just feels like he's constantly moving in both constant in a constantly moving, not hyperactive way, but it's so not measured. It's so done for a reason, but it, it's, it's just so expertly done. It's some of the most expert. This is my favorite Spielberg movie. Um Maybe this is up there of my top three Spielberg movies of the millennium. It's up there with. I, I love Munich. I love AI, and Minority Report is one of his best action movies of the last twenty years. This is my favorite movie, Spielberg movie in sixteen years since Munich. No, oh, cool. That's uh, it is a jolt of artist uh, it, for, for Spielberg himself. that so, uh, so should I get the Oscar? I don't give a shit about the Oscar. Oh. He's got, he's got Oscars. He's good, right? Okay. I well, don't I mean, know. I don't. Again, it's not a competition. <laughs>
1: I just, it's an uh, honor to be nominated.
0: Uh,
1: number, two, uh, number two on Shane's list for the
0: year. It is right now number two. I still have... I'm, I'm, I won't be... Able, we're, we're, hopefully, we're still going to have our year in wrap-up around New Year's, and I, there, we half our year in wrap-up is just list of movies we didn't see because we live in Evansville Indiana. Yeah. But right now, it's number two.
1: Wow, okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, well, that's cool. I mean... I, I don't know I fact in fact it is funny because when they opened up with the uh, the whole thing about the Lincoln Center and the and the damage I'm just like well nice CGI work here you know uh, and uh and, I, and I'm not an anti-cGI person I'm not don't 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 get me wrong I uh-huh. mean uh I mean I, I watch MCU movies you know uh probably you know so I uh, can't I can't use that as an as why I didn't get into it like you did um like I said I did um, yeah, I need to see it again, maybe. But of course, my track record of seeing movies <laughs> <us>. won't. <Well, laughs> you know, uh, if I'm around another twenty years, maybe I'll see it. You know.
0: Well, okay. So the narrative around West Side Story is that the elusive. Uh, it's a bomb. It didn't make a certain measure. Oh,
1: now that I don't like. I I hate those social uh, platform clickbait headlines and stuff and then, like it, whose expectations and, were that and, also, and yeah. it is and then also is anybody reading the article they just look at the headlines and move on mm-hmm. algorithms i'm just like oh my gosh don't did, why you know the whole weirdly scott thing uh of his uh, him benching and moaning and and this now kids on their phones yeah i'm just like i don't know just this, just you know um and then again but then again you know both of us you you, you miss belfast it's already come and gone both no, I think it's coming back. You know, it, we, we think, we, I'm sure. Fingers it, crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. But, you know, it's just, um, uh, let the film, I, I, but the, I don't know, those days are gone. I mean, we're in a different world, you know, obviously.
0: So. I think the real ramifications here is, though, is this, if, if my theory about Hook keeping musical uh, Spielberg away from musical for a while is true, does this keep Spielberg away from his next musical?
1: True, but how many more films does Steven Spielberg have in him?
0: Dude seems to be going. Yeah. This is, this was a muscular movie too. How old is
1: he now? Are he uh, uh he's, he's got to be
0: he's got to be yeah, high 70s at least. Yeah. If not pushing 80. Yet. You
1: know, for Quentin that's a, he's he's in his old man uh era.
0: Yeah, and his next movie is another Tony Kushner movie, and it's, it's autobiographical uh, yeah. movie that he's been holding off of. Maybe. So is this going to be his, his 400 Blows? His,
1: yeah, his uh, his Macho. Uh, so.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. No, I, no, no, I'm seeing his, his— His old man movie, yeah. yeah. No, it's no. not going to be his old man well, no, movie. No, but I mean, it's going to be— I thought this <laughs> is going to be his 400 Blows, his autobiographical masterpiece no, but, but, that he's I, been holding I, off I,
1: forever. But, but it would be his old man in terms of this is my finale, this is my— I'm going to go out on this thing. I
0: see Spielberg doing, like, who gives a shit about box of course, office? Think, who, Here's the movies I've been wanting all another, my life. Don't we
1: have another Indiana Jones? Uh, they got that? taken over
0: by James Mangold. Oh, did it? Yeah. Oh, I don't think I knew that. And then it got pushed back a year because it supposedly reshoots. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Mangold directing it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: well, see, I,
1: I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm no, get off my lawn, kids. You're, uh, you're
0: getting your old man critics. I'm the old man
1: critic stage. I don't know. I'll Just, I'll go see. The, oh, there's a new film. I'll go see it and not read it. Because you know, back in the, you know, when I was in the '70s and back the '80s. Back in your days, is what you're saying. Back in my old, yeah, that, you know, if a Cine Fantastic came out or a, a little article in Rolling Stone, I, you just, you were just so hungry for info. Now the info is so overloading that I almost run away from it. That's you know? true. Um, that's very true. So, but I don't know if that's an age thing or, you know, or a, a youth thing or an age thing or whatever. I don't know, because I, I still think I have enthusiasm for cinema and films as much as I had when I was in my twenties. Um, so
0: I appreciate that, Ted. I think <laughs> your your enthusiasm is going to be fine. My worry <laughs> is I want more Spielberg so to make more musicals. No, you, no, no, that's fine. No, and I'm, I, that's great. I mean, and I'll, I'll maybe you know, I'll, I'll definitely buy this when
1: the Blu-ray comes out, and maybe I'll watch it. That's probably when I watch it again, so when it's on Blu-ray. If I get, because there's, you know, getting out to the theater and, and gosh, who knows, it may be gone by the, you know, in a week or so. It'll be, hopefully it'll get through Christmas. And I think, you you know, watch the, you might get a bump at Christmas. Hopefully. Yeah, let's hope it does.
0: Yeah. I so, guess, is that it for this episode? I, I...
1: so are Are we at we a blows here? Or are we Have we come to a... <laughs> no, not blows. I'm just... <laughs> I shocked you there. Uh, give you a shock.
0: Yeah, I'm still kind
1: of... Um... I, because I, I, like I said, uh, I went into uh, Don't Look Up, and I was like, I was surprised how much I liked it, but I went in with way low expectations. So maybe I went into you know Spielberg, musical, West Side Story, sure. I'd I, The one point I did like, I want to point out, and I can't pronounce his last name, the guy who plays uh, Riff. Mike f- 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 Faison? Faison.
0: Yeah, a uh, f- uh, former guest, uh, Henry Butash. He's in uh, Henry Butash's movie, Atlantic City Story. I should mention.
1: I loved him. I yeah, he's
0: he's spectacular. He,
1: this is a star-making moment. I think this is a, I, I. If this not putting him on the map, I don't know what will. But because even you know what it is, I want to tell you that I saw in the trailer. Because I saw the trailer. You know, it was. I've seen the trailer multiple times, up on a big screen and on the on the TV screen. Uh, there's one sequence where they're walking with their paint cans mm-hmm. and they stop at a crosswalk and let some people walk mm-hmm. by and the look on his face the w- the way he handles that, I just that one little tiny scene and the look on his face, I go, I love this guy and I hadn't seen the movie yet. Uh, I mean to me that's just amazing. so,
0: we we didn't even get into the performances. Ra- Rachel Ziegler is amazing as Maria. Ariana DeBose Ariana DeBose is amazing. And David Alvarez's Bernardo is so good. Marito Moreno and Valentina, like you need, well, you need you gotta keep on keep, even Ansel, Ansel Elgort, <coughs> like who normally is maybe not doesn't do it for me, is is a, just so charming as a singer. Corey Stahl is amazing too.
1: Yeah, I kept on going, where have I seen him? Where have I seen him? Finally, go. Oh, Ant Man. Uh. <laughs>
0: Corey Stall—that's all you know. Corey Stall. Well, from? no, I, I okay. know. Him no, 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 but, but, uh, not. Uh, yeah, but that's where you he... are not on trial for your Corey Stall uh, filmography. But, knowledge. but
1: no, keep going with all this stuff
0: you like, because
1: you need to let the audience know why you like it so much. Because I, I don't think you
0: have Tony gonna, Kushner. And, and, a, it, Tony Kushner screenplay is worth its weight in gold. This is the one, and well, uh, *Angels of America* is the only thing I'm really up on Tony Kushner. And with. he's mostly only written Spielberg movies and Munich,
1: Munich, right? Uh, Spielberg movies. Yeah. Right.
0: He's he wrote *Lincoln*, Munich. But uh, it, just little things like I forgot to mention this earlier. When going back to the original Broadway order, they move "I Feel Pretty" to later in in the sequence, and it comes after the brawl. That's which, what I thought. Was, I thought that yes, was a different, a different. Yes. place. because you're like all of a sudden it's like whoa tonal change. But uh, it's not. That's because you're used to this yeah. being a flippant song, and now it's supposed to be like she feels really good and knowing her world's about to come down on her. Right.
1: Right. So oh. yeah.
0: No, it's uh, well. You did, did. You watch the original before
1: you went to see the new one, right? No, after you backwards. Okay. Yeah,
0: and I had to reread. I, I had to read like what was changed, and every time I was like, "Oh, that's different," and every time I, a b with the changes, I was like, "That's a good move," <laughs> like that's a good move.
1: <laughs> so well, you, yeah, you're doing it backwards too.
0: Uh, I just
1: yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad. I'm. I'm I mean, it's. I that's cool. I just didn't. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know want that. to put you on the spot yeah.
0: for um, the. They, some people critique this, but the anybody's character, uh, the way they make it a more modern, gender-neutral thing, is interesting. Um, oh yeah, yeah, right,
1: right. That because I thought, yeah, I thought that was an interesting take. Because I bet and the, and wasn't she uh, a, a more it was handled differently in the west she was a straight original. up tomboy in, yeah, in, in tomboy, the
0: original yeah, I and mean, then right. she was it was told that she couldn't get a guy and there was right. a reason she acted that way in the original yeah
1: right so uh no i mean i enjoyed it don't get me wrong i, I mean it, it's i i uh i really got uh it's it's and it needs to be seen on a big screen and uh i think it's worthy of all the nominations uh i mean might be not gonna said my biggest takeaway is the guy the, the mike Faison or whatever his name is
0: so, I, Ted, I feel a little bad for putting you on the spot, for just giving you an honest reaction. No,
1: no. Well, we, uh, well, we didn't tell each other before we recorded.
0: Doesn't oh. that make for good radio?
1: <laughs> so, uh, Ted
0: is still telling you to go see West Side Story. I am emphatically telling you to get your ass out there and watch that movie. And make sure Spielberg makes more musicals. Um, that's it for this week, Ted. What is your? What have you been practicing as you're going off the uh, sign-off line for this?
1: Uh, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> oh, I thought you're going to tonight, <laughs> I'm two- sorry, I did what? I
0: what? thought you're going to go with two night tonight.
1: Oh, two. Yeah. Well, actually, I tonight, did think.
0: Night tonight. Thanks everybody for listening. Tonight.